Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a very special episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the year in review edition. This week, we're recapping our favorite stories from 2021, and I'm joined by Laura Bischoff. Welcome back, Laura. Hey, Anna. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's get right into it because we got a lot to cover today. So our first story might be the biggest political story of the decade. It's the fall of former House Speaker Larry Householder. It's a story so big that both Laura and Jesse Ballmer spent a decent chunk of time covering it in 2021. But to understand where we are now, we first have to travel back in time to the summer of 2019 when Householder was trying to pass a bill to bail out two nuclear power plants along Lake Erie. Yeah, so in July of 2019, House Bill 6 was signed into law by Governor DeWine, and it provided a $1.3 billion bailout for First Energy Solutions, the nuclear plants, as well as some coal-fired plants and some other goodies for First Energy Corporate. And then fast forward a year, and it was a big shocker day in July of 2020. The FBI, in the early morning hours, arrested Larry Householder, the Speaker of the House, Matt Borges, the former chairman of the Ohio Republican Party, lobbyist Neil Clark and Juan Cespedes, and then political consultant Jeff Longstreth. And it was almost like you like you didn't hear it correctly when they when they detailed the charges they said that it involved a 61 million dollar bribe that this that it was dark money bribes to get householder into pow- power pass house bill 6 into law and then defend it against um an attempted referendum yeah it was safe to say that like the ohio political world was was basically stunned everyone was like wait what What's happening? Yeah, and and uh, at the time, the David DeVillers, who was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District, said that this is the largest um, you know bribery scheme in in state history. And then just a couple months after those arrests, um, Cespedes and Longstreth took guilty pleas and First Energy fired some top executives. And then shortly thereafter, First Energy disclosed to the Securities and Exchange Commission that it paid $4.3 million to someone who later became an Ohio utility regulator. We later learned that that was Sam Randazzo. And the FBI searched Sam Randazzo's condo in in Columbus. So he then resigned. Um, And then a couple months after that, Neil Clark died by suicide in Florida um, while wearing a Mike DeWine campaign for, you know, Mike DeWine for governor campaign t-shirt. That was such a sad twist in this whole story. It was very bizarre. And, you know, suicide is a, is a terrible, terrible tragedy. And then strangely, his memoir was published, um, self-published after his death by his family. And that was like, came out, I think in May or so. And it's, it's almost like the hits just keep coming on this. Like every few months or so, like there's a major development. And the big, big one for 2020 was that First Energy in July of 2021 signed a deferred prosecution agreement, agreed to cooperate fully with the feds uh, and pay a $230 million fine. In that in that deferred prosecution agreement and the statement of facts around it, it admitted that it, it bribed Sam Randazzo and Larry Householder. Now, and, Sam is the public utilities guy, right? Yeah, he's yeah. the guy who the FBI searched his condo. He was on the public utility, he was the chair of the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio, which is a really powerful board uh, that regulates the utilities. Um, Randazzo is a longtime energy uh, attorney, and he has said that he has done nothing wrong, and he has not been charged. 
nor so he didn't think it was a bribe is his position, even though First Energy was like, nah, nah, it was a bribe. Right. Like it, Randazzo, his position was that he was his firm was being paid for services rendered or uh, the conclusion of this agreement. And likewise, you know, Larry Householder and Matt Borges have pled not guilty in this case. And the fired First Energy CEO, Chuck Jones, has also said he's done nothing wrong. So what's coming up next in 2022, you may ask? Um, you know, a lot of people are wondering if there will be more um, more indictments. That seems to be the logical next step, given what we know so far. But so far, that hasn't happened. And uh, U.S. District Court Judge Tim Black is expected to have a um, the next conference status conference is February 1st, and presumably a trial would happen sometime thereafter. Yeah, it's going to be, the trial is going to be wild because there's been lots of discovery. I mean, just boxes and boxes of paperwork collected. But there's also been a lot of audio recordings. Like the, what we learned from some of the paperwork that's already come out is that there was a state lawmaker who wore a wire. There was a lobbyist wearing a wire. And there was a lot of recorded conversations with Householder and some of these other folks who are named in the indictments. And, you know, I personally, as a political journalist, can't wait to hear what's on those recordings. Right. And I think the only way we ever would find out what's on those on those phone taps and on those wiretaps is if it does go to trial. You know, I, I was kind of thinking about the story, like why Ohioans should care. Mm-hmm. And really, you think about public corruption really erodes trust in democracy and government. Um, so at a high level, it's it's damaging. And uh, corruption also robs honest players of an even playing field. And then on top of that, you know, it's, it, it goes on your electric bill. The, right. ha- the fees embedded in, in House Bill 6 were being applied to 4.8 million ratepayers across the state. We were going to pay more because, I guess, allegedly Larry Householder got paid a bunch of money. Right. I mean, and that, that um, you know, these subsidies embedded into House Bill 6 were being applied uh, to your to your electric bill, you know, a little bit every every month. And a little bit every month applied to four and a half million electricity payers is a lot of money. And, and also, likewise, um, you know, this whole case involves First Energy Corporation, which is based in Akron. It's a Fortune 500 company, um, homegrown in Ohio. And um, also, you know, you as our listeners um, kind of think about this case, it's good to know the facts and to follow our coverage of it because you're going to hear a lot of it in the twenty two election, the 2022 elections. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not only in the governor's race with Mike DeWine, but the U.S. Senate race, like um, all the legislative races, like you're just, especially if it goes to trial, we're going to hear a ton about House Bill 6. Right. And that's why I think it's so important to, you know, follow our work because, you know, we are the source for, you know, the, the best coverage of this case in my humble opinion. I second that opinion. And our second story of 2021 is my pick. And it won't come as a surprise to anyone who knows me. It's about education, specifically the way Senate President Matt Huffman and the supporters of school choice have expanded vouchers here in Ohio. And my pitch on why you should care about this, and I say this with all sincerity, is Ohio's kids are our future and how we educate them matters. It's also your tax dollars, so you should probably care how much you're paying and where they go. And we spend billions of dollars on public education. All right, so I'm going to step down from my soapbox and say that back in January, I wrote an article about Huffman. He was the new Senate president then and how his leadership could mean the restructuring of public education. And, well, I just kind of want to say... 
think I was right. Way to go. <laughs> so the amount that, you know, kids who take these vouchers, they're called Ed Choice Scholarships, um, increased. It also got tied to the base cost, which is how much we give each individual district. I won't get into the weeds, but basically, not only did he raise the amount kids get this year, but he made it so if we raise money for public education, we'll also raise the money given to private education through vouchers. He removed the cap on the number of students who could take them. They introduced something called the backpack bill, which would essentially give a voucher to every kid in Ohio. They talked about mandating open enrollment. They um, they just really have been working systematically to expand school choice in the state. And, you know, coming up next year, uh, Senator Reinecke has a bill that might actually just totally restructure the Department of Education. Who do you think is going to be the new superintendent of schools for Ohio? Ooh, she is asking me a loaded question. I think it really depends on how they see that job going forward. Uh, there is a rumor that Reinecke's bill will actually make that more of a figurehead position and put a um, like a czar of education in the, the governor's cabinet. And that would be a much stronger place. And that would change the dynamic of who wants to take that job. Yeah, that State Board of Education is kind of a crazy place because it's it's like a 19-member board and about half of them are appointed and half are elected. Yeah, and the governor canned two of his appointees this year over uh, critical race theory and how we talk about racism and slavery and other divisive issues. So it's been a wild year for public education, actually. Absolutely. So our colleague Haley B. Miller is covering the U.S. Senate race in 2022. And in 2021, she wrote a lot about it because, you know, elections start the day after the last one finished. Um, But observers say Ohio is falling behind other states when it comes to the number of women in federal and state offices. And one of the things Haley noticed in an article she did about Jane Timken, who's running to be a U.S. senator, is that the partisan gap is pretty stark. So, um, you know, the only three women who won a congressional seat in 2020 in Ohio were all Democratic women. And Ohio hasn't elected a woman to the U.S. House since 2010. We've never had a female senator and we haven't had a female governor who's been elected yet. Right. So the quick history lesson on that one is that when George Voinovich uh, left the governor's office to become U.S. Senator, the lieutenant governor, Nancy Putnam Hollister of Marietta, was elevated to governor and she held the office for a whopping 11 days. So the history of Ohio being led by women is limited to 11 days. Did she do anything interesting in those 11 days? You know, I don't know. I've talked to her in the past. She's she's really fun to talk to. She does have a portrait in the um, in the statehouse. So it's a really interesting topic overall about like the rise of women, both in politics and the rise of women, say, within the Democratic Party or within the Republican Party. Do you think Jane Timken has like this is something that will differentiate her amongst her male counterparts vying for the seat next year? Well, I'm not really sure, but I mean, she is the only female candidate in that GOP field, unless there's miscellaneous people I'm missing. No, I don't think so. she's the only. Yeah, I think she's the only woman. Right. And, you know, I think she's had um, certainly the the structure of the establishment Republicans behind her. She, the Timken name is really pretty strong in those circles. But she was the first woman to head Ohio GOP, right? Right. The first female chairperson chair. I think she likes to go by chairman. Anyway, I'm not sure if that's, uh, you know, she's making a play for suburban uh, family voters who are concerned about issues like critical race theory. Um, mm-hmm. And Haley explored that as an issue. And it seems like Jane Timken is the one who's making the biggest deal out of it. And whether or not that will elevate her in, you know, and 
kind of have her rise above in the in the crowded field is yet to be determined. But in a five-way primary, I mean, I guess every vote counts. Oh, absolutely. You know, that primary, um, the winner could uh, walk away with just, what, like 25% of the vote. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely one of those races where you don't need the majority to win, and probably no candidate will get over 50 or even close. No, that would be very surprising, unless a bunch drop out. Yeah. And I don't see that happening. It seems like a lot, they're mostly, They're in it to win it. They're very committed to it. Well, it's because it, Rob Portman, the retiring senator, won by, what, 20 points last time? It was something obscene. Yeah, he beat uh, Ted Strickland, former governor. Yeah, so it's. I guess it's kind of seen that the person who wins the primary has a real good shot at the general. Absolutely. And, you know, you look at um, Ohio has been trending red, and this is an off-year election for President Biden's party. So, Which is it, always bad for the party in power. Correct. So it's it, all, all signs point to a pretty good year for the Republicans. Um, unless this House Bill 6 case, if the Dems are able to make a major issue out of it and really uh, drive it home to um, voters and tie, you know, every Republican on the face of Ohio <laughs> um, to it, you know, I think that that's a long shot. Yeah. So our final pick comes from Titus Wu, whose story about the retirement of Ohio's golden license plates proved once again that you never can predict what readers want. The plates were issued from 1997 through 2001, and they have dark blue serial numbers on a white gold background with the word Ohio on top. And, well, the BMV says they're they're past their prime, basically, and that most plates have degraded to the point that they're difficult to read. So they want them back. But it irritated uh, a Columbus resident named Samuel Hopkins, who uh, Titus spoke to, who basically said there's nothing wrong with them. And they're just trying to run something down people's throats. He was very upset. And it seemed like a lot of readers were upset. The The story itself garnered like more than 75,000 page views online. It was, we were all like, wow, people really care about license plates. People care about license plates and pretty much anything having to do with the BMV. If their if their registration fee is going to go up a little bit, or there's going to be some new online program or whatever, it, it, those stories tend to get a lot of traction. In part because you know almost everyone owns a vehicle and or drives. So yeah, and our coworker uh, Jesse Balmart discovered that too when she covered the launch of a brand new license plate in the fall, and it turned out that the plane on the plate was backwards. Right, the right flyer was going the wrong way. <laughs> Or facing the wrong way anyway. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The governors tend to, uh, once they're in office a little bit, they tend to unveil a new plate and it kind of puts their their stamp on on vehicles across uh, across Ohio. <laughs> and um, yeah, the DeWine plate... Um, Has a dog that looks suspiciously like their dog. Like their dog, Dolly. And, it, you know, it's interesting because it seemed like the DeWine plate tried to, the design of it, Appeal to everyone. Had some cityscape there. It had some wheat, not corn, but wheat. Um, and then the yeah, the kid on the swing with the dog at at, um, at their feet, and the rest of it. It was it, and I think it even had like a little river going through it. Yeah, and the right flyer in the wrong direction. It was, it was, it was a funny story for all of us. And, but unfortunately, you can't get your hands on those special plates because they're being destroyed, and the flyer is being put facing the correct way. That's right. The uh, the BMV um, prints the plates at the Lebanon Correctional Center. Uh, that's a prison in Warren County. And uh, so those uh, 35,000 misprinted right flyer wrong way plates uh, are going into the uh, shredder. Mm. And one weird fact about Ohio license plates that I learned in the whole process was that the right flyer actually has to appear 
somewhere on the plate. It's a law. I know. And if you want to know more about weird laws in Ohio, I have one more thing before you go. Our colleague, Haley B. Miller, wrote about the strange and quirky laws still on the books in the Buckeye State. So these are great facts for tonight's New Year's Eve party, be it in person or virtual. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Worcester Daily Record. That's the-daily-record.com. 